Hi, friends. Welcome to the Rock Your Joy podcast. I'm your host, Anya Rock, a woman, artist, entrepreneur, mom, and high-performance coach. I'm working on becoming the best version of myself and inspiring others to do the same. This is my invitation to you to be part of the collective shifting of consciousness. Let's choose love. Let's choose joy. And let's rock your joy one day at a time. Hi, friends. Welcome back. My guest today is Rhea Fry, published author, CEO, and homeschooling mom. Rhea's passion in life is telling stories, connecting with readers, and helping aspiring authors to tell their stories too. As a CEO and founder of Rightway, she helps aspiring writers to become published authors. When she's not promoting her business or writing her books, you can find her homeschooling her daughter, spending time with her husband, traveling, and planning her next great adventure. Welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you today? I am doing well. I think that's such a loaded question these days. The how are you question. There's so many answers that we could give. <laughs> totally. How's your soul today? Yes, exactly. Um, so you're a published author, a mom, a CEO, and I want to talk kind of about all of those parts because I think it's fascinating and wonderful and just want to kind of get to know you and hear your story. Yeah. Where would you like me to start? There's so many layers to this story. <laughs> That's great. Um, so tell me about, let's talk about you as an author first. I'm reading your newest book that's just recently launched a couple weeks ago. So congratulations. Yes. In, in August, um, it's called Until I Find You. It's my third suspense novel with St. Martin's Press. And it's been crazy. It's been a book a year. I'm on a book a year contract. So it's just kind of fast and furious um, with these books coming out. But the path here was really interesting, the path to publication. I feel like that's a story people always want to hear about because, you know, 80% of people want to write a book and there's no one way to get there. But I, you know, I always get asked if I wanted to be a, a writer. This was always in my story or part of my story. And I grew up like loving words and reading. And my dad was a wonderful writer and actually taught me to read via the TV guide. Do you remember the TV guide? <laughs> yeah. uh, that's literally how I learned to read, which was great. But I, but I grew up wanting to be an Olympic gymnast. I was super into health and wellness and just loved sports, but always found myself with a, my nose in a book. And I had a couple of different options for college, but ended up going to Columbia in Chicago for their creative writing program. I found it so amazing that you could sit around all day and like write stories and read fiction and that you could actually turn that into a career. But what I quickly learned is I was in love with the process, but I knew so little about the business of publishing. So I actually had a book published, a novel published when I was 22 years old before I graduated. It was a terrible experience. It was a, a pu little publisher that kind of took advantage of just me, newbie writer, not really knowing what I'm doing, but it was a great learning experience. And from there, I kind of abandoned fiction even though I always wanted to write it and I got into nonfiction. So I was a journalist. I wrote for magazines and newspapers and worked for corporations and was an editor in many different capacities and did not touch fiction for about 10 years. Um, during that time, I published four, traditionally published four health and wellness books, which 
you know, again, I didn't really have that author platform. I didn't really understand what it takes to sell and move books. So the sales kind of reflected that. But again, learning experience after learning experience. And then at the end of 2016, I was toying with the idea of writing a book again. I was working three jobs. I had my daughter. I have an eight-year-old daughter now. And I was at an airport and saw this really toxic mother-daughter exchange. And since I've become a mom, I've been very obsessed with just observing mother-daughter relationships. And I got an idea for this book and I promptly went home. I quit two of my jobs that very week, which was insane. I don't know what possessed me. And I gave myself eight weeks to write this novel and I wrote it in four weeks. Or I always joke that it wrote me because it just poured out of me and I could see the whole story. And from there, I got an agent, quickly secured an agent, and then was offered a two-book deal, and then another two-book deal after that. And, you know, my first book came out at the end of 2018, and now I'm on my third book. It's 2020. Um, My edits are due for my fourth book at the end of this month, and it's just been a whirlwind uh, to get here, but it's been, you know, I, I feel like people see like, oh, these authors come out with these books, and it's so... Like she must have struck gold or, you know, it it only happens to a select few. But what you don't see is just the sometimes decades of work and mistakes that it really takes to get there. 100%. And even kind of, you know, your story of having the, the moment of having the book idea to having a finished book. Talk to us even on the micro level, like you're my mom, you're trying to write. I mean, the concentration what is that like? <laughs> yeah. So I've always been, it's funny. I have never worked in an office, like a typical nine to five office. I've always been remote and I've always gotten a lot done and people all joke and call me the machine or you're so prolific and you get so much done in a short period of time. And I learned very early on to carve out super focused time for myself to put away the phone, turn off email notifications, turn off texts, put my daughter in another room and threaten her (laughs) with something. Like, unless you're on fire, do not bother me so I can get my work done. And so luckily, just with the way that I've worked in the past, I've had to produce large amounts of copy in a short amount of time. But when I was writing that first book, I mean, I gave myself permission to just play and imagine, but I didn't give myself a plan B. I would write, I'm, I'm a really big like manifester. I'm a very specific manifester and I love writing things down. So I wrote down what type of book deal I wanted. I wrote down what kind of agent I wanted. I would play the conversation in my head. My husband actually printed out pictures of actors to play the movie, like in the movie version of my book and my book got a movie deal before it came out. And so I feel like all these things really helped kind of build upon themselves, but the actual writing, I mean, my daughter was much younger at the time and the book was actually about a five-year-old who gets kidnapped uh, (laughs) to save her from her mother. And then I actually had a little bit of a kidnapping scare with my daughter during the writing of that book. So I thought, I'm totally bringing this on myself by writing this book, but <laughs> maybe you're manifesting. Yeah, too I'm here. manifesting the wrong things. But to see it go from an idea in my head to being sold to walking into Target and like seeing my book on the shelf, it is the most out of body, amazing experience 
and to just really, I'm such a process person. So to really learn how all that happens, what goes into publishing a book, who's on your team, like what's really involved um, to make one book come to market is fascinating to me. And I never take it for granted. And you've built a business around helping other authors do that. So tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So along the way, along this publishing journey, I've always loved helping authors. Like I've, I really learned about the business um, in terms of I, I interned at a literary agency. I've been hired by other agents sometimes to ghostwrite. I, I've just always like had my hand in different areas. But I noticed during this time, I wanted to really put my best foot forward when I published my debut. I wanted to treat it like a business and I wanted to hire a publicist. And I needed about $20,000 to hire her. So I was like, I'll just do some side gigs and some freelance work. And all of a sudden, I started getting all these people who wanted to write nonfiction books specifically to help them with their book proposals, because that's how you sell a nonfiction book. And I'm really good at it. I love it. I love helping people flesh out their ideas. So I just started getting all these referrals, like more and more and more people. And before I knew it, I had like a six figure side hustle that I was like, why don't I turn this into an actual business? So in January, my husband actually quit his very comfy senior UX W2 job with benefits to come be my creative director at Rightway. And then COVID hit and I was panicked. I was like, we have ruined our lives. Like we're going to be out on the street. What are we doing? And actually the opposite is true. I've noticed during this time and during this year, so many people want to write a book and they're really realizing if I don't do it now, I'm literally never going to do it. So it's been so amazing to see how passionate people have been. And we've, we've really curated our experience. So we're a one-stop shop. We have a fiction division where we do you know, consulting, editing from a developmental level all the way down to proofreading and laying it out if you want to self-publish. Or we pitch to literary agents on our client's behalf, which really sets us apart because so many people don't know how to query an agent, how to talk to an agent. And we kind of guide the author through that and then really help facilitate the deal, help them understand how to read a contract, what a good deal is, what a bad deal is. And we do that with our fiction department. And then we have a nonfiction department as well for book proposals, ghostwriting, again, consulting. And then we also have a design and branding division. If you need an author website, if you need some swag, if you need, you know, if you are a self-published author and you need a book cover design. So we really are trying to encompass everything we can to inform and empower authors to make their own best decisions. Yeah. I was on your website and was really impressed. It's oh, really, I mean, it's such a great fit for, like you say, it's, there's a lot of unknowns in between. I want to write a book and how it gets out to the world. How do I get there? And the cool thing today in 2020, I mean, the publishing industry is changing, but if you want to get published, you 100% can. It's just figuring out what you actually really want. Because when you ask someone, they're like, I want to be on the today show and be a New York times bestseller. But when you dig in a little bit, that's not actually always what someone wants. And I really try to get to your goals first and figure out, is this book serving your business? Is it just a tool and an arsenal of other products that you're offering? Or 
is this like you just want to see your book on a bookshelf or you want your friends and family to read it? And then I help them navigate like the correct path, whether that's self-publishing, hybrid or traditional publishing, and then help them with the steps to get there. So it's, it's so amazing when a client, you know, not only like comes to me with an idea, but then they leave with the book deal. Like it's, it's kind of mind blowing. I get more excited for them than I do for my own successes. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I know. It's great. It's amazing. And while you're doing this, writing books and being a CEO of this thriving author mentorship business, you are also homeschooling your daughter. Lord, it has <laughs> not been easy. So we, my daughter's eight and in the middle of first grade, she's always gone to a Montessori school. So she's always been kind of in a non-traditional environment, but she was in a public Montessori school for her first grade year always loved school. So social, just so amazing. And then during the middle of her first grade year, she just would wake up every day and cry and not want to go to school and just be so anxious. And we had talked about homeschool for a while. And this was um, February of her first grade year. And I was like, you know what, let's just try it. And we'll try it for three or four months. If it doesn't work, at least we know. And then you can, you know, go the next year for second grade. And so when I pulled her out, I'll be totally honest. I mean, I thought I'm never going to be alone again. I'm a creative. What have I done? Like she's an only child. She needs tons of social interactions. So I cried, I think every day for like two weeks of just what have I done? And then, I mean, it's been two years now and it's just been incredible. So we were homeschooling a full year before COVID hit, but we found you know, I think a lot of people think homeschool means your child is at home all of the time. And it quite the opposite was true. I mean, she was out doing more things than she's ever done. She came on a book tour with me and did 16 states in one summer, all kinds of extracurriculars. And then we found an amazing hybrid school called Acton Academy, which is for homeschooled kids. It really teaches them to go on a hero's journey and they learn to fail and struggle and get an emotional education and find what they're passionate about in life. And what she's learned from that has been unbelievable. Like I wish I could go back and be a kid and do it all over again. But during COVID, you know, they of course didn't do in person. So she found herself like from seeing her friends year round to just being her and being at home with adults. And we really struggled like on a day by day basis, just on an emotional level. It's so easy for us as parents to want to comfort our children or make them feel better. And instead we've let really let her sit in her own sadness because it is sad and learn how to process those emotions. And then this past week, her hybrid school actually is back in session with enhanced protocols and I know every parent has to make that decision whether like, do we send them in? Do we not? But for her mental health and ours, it was a no brainer. Like she practically ran out the door, <laughs> like, bye. So I'm really hoping over the coming weeks, like it'll, everything will kind of even out a little bit and we, we each get like our rhythm and space again. Well, it's interesting because one of the conversations I've had with a few other homeschool moms is that they really emphasize that homeschooling and distance learning yes. are not the same thing. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> They're like, this is not what you signed up for. Mm -mm. You know, if you want to homeschool, there is a whole other rhythm and cadence and emotional part of it that 
does not mean being on Zoom for six hours oh a day. Oh my gosh. And I think that's what, so I'm, I'm very, my husband and I are very academic. I was, I loved school and I've had to unlearn a lot of things because I got in a very fixed mindset. And my, one of my favorite stories I like to tell about my daughter is we had a friend in town. They were at the playground. He was going across the monkey bars with her and he was like, oh, I can't do it, Sophie. Like I'm, I'm too old and you know, whatever. And she went over and slapped this grown man on the ass and said, don't have a fixed mindset, Joe, you can do it. <laughs> and so she's so growth mindset. And when we first started doing this, I tried to recreate school at home and which was a huge mistake. And instead, like she, if you watch children and especially toddlers, like we don't teach them to walk. We don't teach them to talk like they are learning and growing all the time. And that doesn't stop once they hit school age. So we kind of like, I guess the technical term would be unschool. When we took her out of school, we let her unschool for a little bit. And I mean, she was outside hours every day. She was reading like six hours a day at least and just playing like play at at any age is so important. And we stopped doing that. And you can learn all day long. Like she's learned to cook. She's learned to just do real world things. Like she comes to the bank with me. She pays bills with me. All the things we don't learn in a textbook. And I think each kid is different, but, and some kids really like structure and, and having workbooks or virtual curriculums, but other children have a different rhythm and it doesn't have to look the same. And it definitely doesn't have to mean like sitting behind a computer all day um, you want learning to be, I don't know, to be continuous and, and ongoing and, and joyful. Fun. Like it should be fun, right? <laughs> yeah. Ideally. <laughs> Ideally, right? I mean, and I look at my daughter, I'm like, God, what sh- must she think of her mother and father who are literally behind our computers all day and then like too tired at the end of the day to do anything except like, collapse on the couch and watch some mindless TV. Like, no, I don't, I want more for her than that. And, and this time's been really interesting to figure out how to have fun and how to play and how to be social and how to learn when there's so many limitations on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what matters, right? I think that sort of everybody is reflecting and asking what matters. And I think as we, we're starting to come a little bit come out. So my kids started school this week. I find myself asking, thank you. (laughs) Two hours a day. It was beautiful. But I started to feel like, what did I, did I do everything? Did I really experience and soak up this season that we just had? Exactly. I know it's kind of, I know everyone's like, oh my God, like get me out of quarantine. But I've actually had more positives come out of it than anything. Like I've, I've established, I've been talking about it forever, but establishing a breathing practice. I breathe for 30 minutes first thing in the morning, no matter what my husband and I are no longer rushing off in the morning. So we sit and we have coffee and we talk about real things and we've had more quality time with our daughter than we can even handle. She's, I mean, we're (laughs) also sick of each other, but it's been so awesome to, just block out so many of the things that we think are so important and that we think matter and just calm down, figure out how we want to feel, how we want to live, how we want to move, how we want to interact with each other. And 
Yeah, it's been a really beautiful season. I know it's been so frustrating and so scary for so many people, but we ch- we chose early on to just choose the positives out of it and choose to love each other and choose to figure out how we want to use this time to build our immunity, to build our mental health and resilience instead of just like watching the news every day. Like I, we don't watch the news anyway, but like we very quickly tuned all of that out because I just couldn't, you know, it's going to be negative. (laughs) So I'm just like, I I don't, that's not what I want this time to be about because we might not ever get time like this again. Mm -hmm. It's true. I, I feel the same. Um, and I wanted to ask you also about the themes of your, your current four books is all about parenting uh-huh. <laughs> and kind of suspenseful mysteries. Yep. Where does that inspiration come from or where, how does that thread start? I mean, you? I think I'm so interested in motherhood and in, in general and just relationships between mother and child. And, but I'm also really interested. The reason I write suspense is I'm super interested in moral questions, like questions we would often deem black or white and, and having a reader really rethink things that they, they might otherwise just write off. Like I really like to look at all sides of a character and their decision-making process and, and how the realities of parenthood, like, you know, if you're a parent, you're never doing it right. You're never feeling super awesome about it. And so I love to put these characters in interesting situations and kind of just see what comes out. And I think I'm exploring my own, you know, downfalls. And though I'm not anywhere in my books, I don't put anything personal in my books actually about myself or my child. Um, I still so relate to the experience and these mothers that I write about, I just find it fascinating to go on a different journey and try on these kind of terrifying, (laughs) I kind of write about things that scare the shit out of people. Like the kidnapping is, is the first one. The second one is dying and leaving your child without a guardian. This third one is a a blind widow thinks her three month old baby has been swapped for another baby and no one will believe her. And then I have a a college bound um, teenager in my fourth book, but uh, so I think it's mom's worst nightmare. Yeah. So it's like facing my own fears and kind of working, working through them as a mom. Um, but my daughter is so funny because we go on hikes and she helps me troubleshoot my books and she always tries to like change them and put robots in them and turn them science fiction. But we have these honest conversations about my characters and these books and what happens. And I mean, I hope I'm not damaging <laughs> damaging her because they're not for the you know faint of heart, really. But it's so cute how invested she becomes in these stories, and she already like writes a ton. And for my debut novel, I had a big book release party, and she that book was called Not Her Daughter, and she wrote a little book called Where's Her Daughter, brought it to my book release, and she was like six years old sold them for a quarter and then walked up to me with a champagne flute full of water in her little jumpsuit and was like, I sold out before you. I'm a bestseller. And then just walked off. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. She's watching the entrepreneur and taking notes. <laughs> That's right. Now she could just clean her room. We would be all good. I mean, the messes during this time, because, you know, we're all at home. We work from home. I don't know. I don't know if she's doing it on purpose, but I'm like, I'm going out of my mind just with, she's just always been kind of messy, but 
that's been a, a challenge and a struggle as well. Yeah. I have definitely reflected on what to let go of in this time. I want to let go of everything. I want to live a minimalist <laughs> life. I want to have everything, all of my possessions fit in a backpack and call it a day. <laughs> a neat little backpack that yep. doesn't get messy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm curious, as I'm reading Until I Find You, how do you, obviously you see perfectly and at, no, I as do you're not doing see the, perfectly. <laughs> okay. Well, you have glasses, but What's it like to go into that character and research? I mean, some of the details, these fine, fine details of, you know, writing from the point of view of someone who can't do the most basic things that we just see. Yeah. I mean, when I first got the idea for this, it was actually, it actually stemmed from a real reoccurring nightmare that I used to get about hearing a baby cry walking into the nursery, picking up this baby and realizing it wasn't my baby. And I kept having it over and over and over again. So I actually brought it up with my editor and I was like, I would love to write like a book about like a baby swap, <laughs> which sounds so weird, but I don't know how I could do that because of course, if you have your site, you're going to know if your child's not yours. And the more we talked about it, we, we decided to make the protagonist vision impaired. And I think it's very important to represent all types of people on the page. And I don't think we see enough protagonists in genre fiction that have these, you know, quote unquote disabilities. I don't even, I don't like that word because I don't think it's accurate. But once I started or decided to do this, I live like five minutes from the Tennessee School for the Blind. And I went in there and I talked to the director and he sat me down and it was so amazing. He showed me all the gadgets that he uses. I talked to mothers, like little things like you, you know, you pull the stroller behind you instead of pushing it and you put bells on your children's ankles, like especially once they become mobile, just so you can kind of know where they are and how you cross the street, how crimes are handled, which is so unfortunate. I talked, I worked with a cop who would just kind of walk me through how the vision impaired community would or how they would interpret a situation like my protagonist, Rebecca Gray. And, you know, some horror stories about blind individuals calling an Uber and thinking they're getting into an Uber and they're not getting into an Uber. And, you know, just just different different things like that. And then I, I went to the town that this book is set in, in Elmhurst, Illinois, and I my husband led me around. I was blindfolded and I picked that town because it's very easy to navigate, but it was so, I felt so vulnerable without my sight. I've always had terrible vision. I've always been afraid of losing my eyesight, especially as a writer. But when I sat down to write it, I was like, what have I done? Like, how am I going to construct a world for my reader when the protagonist can't, she's not completely blind, but she's really losing, you know, losing her sight. So it was so challenging. I felt very restricted in some ways and then very free in other ways, but it was really cool to try that on as an author. Well, I'm only a third of the way through, so I won't ask for any spoilers, but it's really, it's fascinating and really just kind of from the reader perspective to be emotionally connected and think, oh my gosh, just where is my child and if I oh. can't see? Worst, worst nightmare. I mean, I can't even, I mean, I really can't imagine. Yeah. And then especially people not believing, believing that you're telling the truth. I mean, uh, yeah, I just, I think it would be very tough. Yeah. 
Well, I'm excited to keep reading. Yay. <laughs> um, so as a busy mom, an author, uh, CEO, and really sort of having constructed this life that is unconventional in some ways. Very. <laughs> very unconventional. How are you rocking your joy? How are you finding and cultivating joy? You know, it's so funny. I was just saying to my husband the other day, like, I don't have enough joy in my life. I don't choose enough joy on a day-to-day basis. I'm so focused on working, taking care of my clients, making sure everyone's okay, that I sometimes forget to find joy in everyday moments, but I've really, really been concentrating on that. And joy for me, it it comes in, in little ways. It's like literally jumping on the trampoline with my daughter or playing a silly game or having a laughing attack, or we actually bought an infrared sauna during COVID and converted our garage to a gym. So sitting in there and listening to like a meditation or I don't know, just moving my body in ways that feel good or going to the farmer's market and connecting with people, even behind a mask, just little things like that bring me joy, painting, drawing, you know, trying on something different, but I'm really trying to make it more of an active daily practice versus this, you know, thing that I'll do or get to at some point. Yeah. I love that. Like letting go of your productivity piece and just being, being more. Yes. Being, I mean, I'm, I'm always doing, I think so many of us are in a state of doing, and this time has been so beautiful because you, you can be a little bit more. My husband and I have implemented a daily nap, uh, practice, which is changing my life. He's so he's always needed sleep and I haven't, I'm just like, who needs, you know, who needs to sleep? I got to go, go, go. And it has been amazing. So like at two o'clock, no matter what, even if it's 20 minutes and I, even if I can't go to sleep, we actively like rest and it is so incredible. And that's, I think that's joyful. I love that. Yeah. I am now, all for that. <laughs> I think I might have to talk to my husband about that. We need a family nap time. (laughs) Sleep is so important. It's been proven. I mean, too, just like naps, especially around that time. Oh my gosh. It's just a total reset for your system. Absolutely. I love that. And I I actually was just reading an article that you wrote about kind of reconnecting with your husband and realizing that you were in this task mode. And it was like, oh yeah, totally relate. Uh, you can't, I mean, I've always said it. It's funny. I I never even wanted to get married. I've been married twice, um, though we've been together 10 years. So this one will stick. He's my, he's my person. But we joke all the time that like being romant- a romantic partner and being a parent just don't go together. Like it, it's just, it's all logistical. I actually envy, we joke, like I envy my divorced friends who get, who are amicable, amicable divorces with kids. They get their space. They get their time to be them. If they date, it's not the day-to-day like taking care of bills and chores and what's for dinner and, and all that. So we're constantly trying to navigate that path and like find our way back to, I mean, you can't get back to where you were obviously in the beginning or pre-kids, but making that space and making it intentional to, have more intimacy and romance. And that doesn't always mean physical intimacy, but just staring at each other or taking five minutes to just really be. And it's a, it's the hardest thing I think about being married and especially with only one kid 
And especially this year when we're just all together all the time, it's... COVID has made it even harder. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. No, it... (laughs) We have a joke in our house about just how much togetherness we are all... So much togetherness. And like our (laughs) our bedroom door doesn't lock. And I'm like, well, I mean, this is just ruining everything. (laughs) It's just our daughter. I mean, we can't... She's just always somewhere. And it's... We got her a kitten finally for her birthday. So she would just have someone to... Or have something to... To love on. Really focus on. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Well, I hope you find more moments of joy and I'm going to take up your nap. Do it. Family nap hour. It It is (laughs) the best thing ever. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been a total pleasure. I love it. If you love this podcast, and I so hope you did, please subscribe. That way you'll get real-time updates anytime I post a new episode feeling inspired and want to share the joy? Leave a review so others can find the podcast more easily. Want to hang out more with me? You can find me on the interwebs at www.anyarock.com. That's A-I-N-E-R-O-C-K. And I'm also on Instagram at Anya underscore healthy living. Till next time, rock your joy. This episode was produced by Dante32.